Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Zane, and you're listening to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast. Bye, mid-pack runners. For mid-pack runners. Back in October, I ran the Centurion Running Autumn 100-mile race, and we thought it was a good opportunity for us to talk about what we think you need to do if you're going to run a 100-mile race and the things you need to think about. This is Runners on Trail, episode... 21? 21! Welcome back to Runners on Trail. Back in October, I ran the Centurion running Autumn 100 Mile race. But we thought, rather than just talking about the race, we thought we'd talk about the things we think are important when it comes to a 100 mile race. And I'd like to say, very first of all, this is very subjective. Mm-hmm. What we think won't be what you necessarily want to do. What we're going to hopefully do is make you think about different things. And you can then go away and think about what will work for you. Please don't try and run 100 miles and then come back and say, well, our advice was shit. (laughs) And we're not the world's experts on 100 milers by any means. It's very much a learning experience for us. Yeah, I'd only done the one before this one. So look, clearly before you get to the start line, there's a lot of stuff you're going to need to think about for your 100 mile race. And not least of which is training. Now, there are training plans available online and we've talked about those before. And I think there's nothing wrong with following one of those, but you've also got to follow what you think is going to work for you and for me that involved building up to being able to run near enough 100 miles a week at least a month before the actual race itself if I can do 100 miles a week and come out injury free I'm probably in a good place to run a 100 miler yes that's always been an objective of mine but I don't think I've ever done 100 miles in a week most I've ever got up to really is 50 miles you have to do it gradually didn't you because you tried this before and it kind of backfired a bit because you think you did too much too quick. and it Yeah, so before Thames Path, yeah. I think I did too much and I injured myself. And I think that ended up coming back to bite me in Thames Path and ended up with a stress fracture in my foot. So this time I didn't actually end up doing 100 miles. Mm-hmm. The longest week I did was 80. Right. But I came out of it feeling really good. And that was about a month before. And then I just eased myself off effectively until the race. You've got to be careful when you're doing more mileage a week. I'm trying to do so much and then stay at that distance, that amount of mileage for a while before stepping up. Yeah. I mean, I'm not preaching from oh, well, knowing because I've never really managed that consistency myself. Longest, but that's what people say. Yeah. And the longest run I did in that week was 17 or 18 miles. It wasn't a big 30, 40, 50 miler. So there's that to think about. I think you also need to think about kit a little bit more than possibly you do for most of the races and for two reasons really one is the kit you're going to carry and they've all got compulsory kit all of these races things like waterproofs and water bottles and first aid kits and all the other things that they have you've got to carry this for 100 miles now not for 26.2 for a marathon it's four times the distance having that weight on your back and so you might want to think about investing in some lighter kit and i think we've talked about this recently but I've invested in an OM halo jacket, a very light out kit base layer. And between them, I knocked something ridiculous like 350 grams off of my base weight, which is... That's a lot. It's a fair amount of weight, that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was important to me. And I, if nothing else, actually, it also gave me more space in my backpack and my backpack didn't feel so lumpy on my back. So, yeah, I think that was all important. But time really to think about your kit. Think about what they're asking you to carry on the race and working out whether you think what you've got is adequate given the fact you're going to have to carry it for a hundred miles yes and making that trade-off between items you may or may not take like gps units for example and not all hundred miles by any means have them as mandatory in fact most don't do you take something like that do you rely on your phone yeah how many layers you take with you you've also got to think about the stuff you wouldn't normally have to take for another race as an example most watch gps's unless they're really modern ones, won't last 24 hours. And you're going to be running for about 24 hours. So you've got to think about taking a battery pack potentially with you to charge a GPS watch while you're running. Running Um, through the night and torches. Correct. So you need spare batteries and all those things, which sometimes are compulsory, sometimes aren't. Are you going to need them? Are you not going to need them? Changes of socks and underwear. Quite often, 24-hour race, you might want to actually change those. Yep. Um, And also then, how much of your own food are you going to carry? mm Mm-hmm vice how much are you going to use from the race and maybe even practicing running with the food they're going to be using in the race if you're going to have to end up using their food because you just can't carry enough of your own all stuff for you to consider but a hundred mile race is 
a lot different, I would suggest, yeah. than running a 50-mile race. It's obviously twice the distance, but the logistics are a lot more complicated, I think, than they ever are running a 50-mile race. And I think certainly when you get over the, that kind of 75-mile mark, you get a new type of fatigue kind of kicking in, I think. Over a marathon, you get a different type of fatigue. But then certainly when you get over, I think, over 75, that kind of range, you really kind of start to struggle. You're really starting to feel it then. And as an example <clears> of <throat> things, therefore, that you can do to help you with that, I stopped drinking tea and coffee a month before this race so that when I started using caffeine during the run, I'd get the maximum benefit from it. Yeah. So what's the race format then? So the Autumn 100, it's a different style of race format. So the start and finish is in Goring, which is not that far from Reading, but you end up coming back to Goring. So it's an, there's four out and back legs. And what effectively you do is you run a 12 and a half mile leg out on the Thames path and then yeah. back to Goring. And then you run a 12 and a half mile leg on the Ridgeway and back to Goring. And you run 12 and a half miles the other way on the Ridgeway and back again. And then run 12 and a half miles the opposite direction than you first went on the Thames Path. So into Reading then and back to Goring. So that sounds like it might offer some logistical advantages. I think it really does offer logistical advantages because in a lot of 100 milers, you'll be offered the opportunity to have a drop bag or several drop bags i.e. bags you can fill up with food and other things you might want at some point in the race but of course what you've got to do there is decide when you want those items unless your drop bag moves along with you which some races do the beauty of this one is that at 25 miles 50 miles and 75 miles i came back to the same drop bag and was able to exchange kit backwards and forwards as i liked and that made a huge advantage Mm. what i still did though was i still made up little bags of things I thought I'd need and labelled them 25, 50 and 70. Yeah. So that when I came in, I had a bag that had food for my next leg and I could just put it straight in my pack and didn't have to worry about it. There were those little tweaks I did. Good race management stuff. Yeah. So the race started at nine o'clock and off we ran along the Thames path. So I am 11k into the autumn 100 mile race. That must be just over six miles, whatever. (laughs) It's been pretty good going till now. A couple of things worthy of note. Last night I was talking to some people saying I was going to do the first leg in road shoes. And they said, whatever you do, don't. And I said, well, I ran Thames 500 and was really glad I was in road shoes. A lot of hard pack stuff. And they went, it's so wet and muddy out there. Wear your trail shoes. And I thought, you know what, these people know because they've been out there and I should listen to them. And I have, and I'm really glad I did. So thank you all so much, those who told me to wear trail shoes. Because people who are in road shoes are slipping and sliding everywhere and having a nightmare. The second bit, faintly amusingly, I was running along with a guy just before we got to the first aid station. And I said, ooh, it's around here that when I was doing Thames Path 100, I missed a turning on the right. As I'm saying this, next thing we hear is a load of people shouting behind us. And it turns out we missed exactly the same turning that I missed on Thames Path 100. And we had to go back. Literally, you couldn't have made it up. Other than that, feels alright. It's uh, damp, but it's not too bad. Yeah, and it feels really good at the moment. I'm really enjoying it, which is good. Just hope I can keep that frame of mind going very slight tightness in the back on on my right hamstring but you know we'll see how that goes clearly you spoke to someone about shoes when i said i was running in road shoes he spoke to me and went you're an idiot then and I went, <laughs> well I, I think i know what i'm talking about i've run the tennis path and he, and he went really he said i've run along it five times this week trust me it's really muddy and you'll have a nightmare and i thought okay that, that's enough for me and i'd got a new fairly new pair of on cloud trail running shoes mm. i'd run about 15 miles in them and so i ran in those and i'm so glad i did uh it was definitely the right call it's not good for your confidence starting a hundred miler and slipping everywhere no and, and talking about that frame of mind as well do you think you know you've done 100 miler before you've done that one and you know some of that was on this course you've uh, run with centurion running before is that giving you some confidence into this race or was it preparation that gave you confidence? How was your frame of mind? And Well, 
you know, we, we've said before how I really didn't think I wanted to do another 100 miler and, and, and how I hadn't enjoyed doing the 100 miler. So I really tried to approach this with a massively positive mindset. Yeah. And I had segregated it all up in my mind into little legs. Yeah. So aid station to aid station, but certainly the out and backs, definitely. And it was almost a run that leg, bin the leg, run the next leg, bin the leg. Yeah. So run them each as each individual 25 mile runs. Yes. And in my mind, I felt that that would be a better way of working mentally for me Mm. and to enjoy the race more. Yeah. And I'd already run 100 miles. I was very positive in my frame of mind when I went into it, to be honest. Uh, The only thing that then happened was I started to notice what I thought was something in my sock on my, not my big toe, the next toe over, rubbing on that Mm. in my shoes. And I stopped and had a fiddle around and it all seemed to go away. And I started running again. And then it sort of came back a bit, but it was never really bad. Okay. So I just left it. It never came up into a blister or anything. It never felt really bad. <laughs> so I just left it. Okay. We'll come back to that. <laughs> That'll be a yes. <laughs> and so I headed off, went through the first checkpoint and carried along. Now it's fairly flat. Yeah. And I was chatting to some people and we were just running along and it all seemed sort of good. My pack felt light. I can remember thinking that, how yeah. light my pack felt. Yeah. Um, having reduced my base weight. And again, because I know we didn't have to carry a lot of stuff because I'm 25 miles, I'll be back at my drop bag. Yeah. It just made life so much easier. With effectively three aid stations in between. You know, Classic Centurion, they were well stocked with amazing people who are almost, at the beginning of the day, are fine, but at the end of the day, are almost over helpful. And when you're feeling tired and slightly grouchy, you yeah, yeah. just stop being so nice. <laughs> stop being so nice, people. Probably no, very experienced crews. Very experienced well. crews. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've said it before that they are very, very good indeed. Mm. So look, let's jump into the next trail clip. So I'm through station two on the autumn hundred, which runs out about 20k. It's about 12 and a half miles. Uh, feels alright. Yeah, legs are pretty good. Feeling good. Uh, took on some food. Got through there in almost dead on two hours. It's a little bit quicker than I wanted to be running, but it feels comfortable. And, uh, yeah, just going to keep jogging it out. Alright, thanks. Interesting about this race, of course, isn't it? You're right. Thank you. It's all right. Just sure. running back past people. Thank you. We're on the still on the run out. Well then, hopefully, I can get back to Goring in a reasonable time. I mean, out in two hours, knowing actually that this leg's a little short. It's about 12 miles out, and then uh, maybe even less than that, and then uh, but it'd be nice. Back all quick and get out. The uh, sun. It gets dark at about 7 o'clock, so if you do the first two legs in 10 hours, you can do them in daylight effectively, which is kind of what I'm trying to aim for, and see if I manage it. And if I can get back to Goring in, say, four and a quarter, four and a half hours, yeah, potentially I can, which would be nice. So, first off, 12 or 12 and a half miles at the turnaround? The first leg is actually only 24 miles. Uh, the next two are 25 each. Yeah. And the last one, the last leg, is 26 miles. Right. So you heard in that as well, that you were going back past people. Yeah, it's a nice dynamic. So you see the the lead runners coming back past you. Yes. While you're still running out, if you're like me anyway. And then when you turn around, you're going back. So there's lots of, hello, how are you? Yes. You know, you're yeah. doing great. Lots of encouragement from everybody, yeah. which was lovely. What there was massively is a lot of nav confidence because yes. people were coming back towards you mm. on the way you were going out. So yes. yeah. if you could keep that happening, you knew you were running on the right route. Yes. And in the race, we can talk about later, I found that very reassuring mm. at several points. Yeah. Because as these races go on, fields thin out and thin out and thin out. Yes. And you can end up running on your own for ages yeah, yeah. and not seeing anybody. Yeah. Because people were coming back, there was... Always Definitely. people passing. Or, well, yeah, I mean, not necessarily really yeah. regularly, but there were at least people coming past you every 10, 15 minutes the other way, so you yeah. could always see someone. But when we've supported each other at different races, um, it's funny, isn't it? When you're running the race, sometimes it can feel like you're the only one because you because just, just a few minutes either side of you, you never really catch up. 
with the person in front, they're just going too fast. And the person behind you is going a bit slower. And it just feels like you're in the middle of nowhere on your own. Certainly but towards the you, end of a race, one of these races, it can, yes, because you've yeah. kind of settled into a pace. Everyone yeah. has. Uh, but then when you've, you know, when you've supported me and I've supported you like at Felsman, when you're at the aid stations, there's people coming past all the time. Yeah. So you have a completely different feeling of it. And in this race, it's a, you're running it, but passing people a lot. Yeah. So that's unusual. Hmm. So again, different dynamics and dynamics for you to think about when you're running these races. Yeah. So specifically then, your pacing plan for this race? I decided to try and see if I could do it sub 20. Right. Okay. Because you did Thames Path in... 22.47. Right. But it was so hot then. And the weather, despite it being mildly moist, was nice. The temperatures were lovely. It's good good 11, 12 degrees. It was really, really good. And I thought, do you know what? Perhaps I could go sub 20 here. Okay. That'd be fun to see if I can try. And you had good training beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Everything was good. And I thought, Mm. well, I'll try that. And then, and if not, then maybe I can go sub 22, which would be nice. Yeah. Just not 47 minutes of my time. And then really, I really wanted to go sub 24. So I had, that was my backstop set of targets in my head. Yeah. And I not really thought about anything beyond 24 at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, so what was the what were the timings you had written down that you were targeting? Yeah, what so I should have been aiming for. I it? should have been at the turnaround at two and a half hours. Yeah, and then back to Goring at five, effectively. Okay. Yeah, and that was for a twenty-two hour pace. That was for a twenty-four hour. That was for a twenty-hour pace. Twenty-hour pace, right? Okay. Yeah, so I got to the turnaround in two hours. Yeah, which was clearly far, far too quick. Yeah. You know, I was half an hour quicker than I thought I would be, but I felt really comfortable. Yeah, and sometimes you just got to go with it if you're feeling good. Yeah, and th- and then we started back, and as we got to the third aid station, effectively, I started to feel, mm, I think I've gone out a little bit too quick here. Yeah. So I'm out of the third checkpoint and aid station on the Awesome 100. Okay, hanging it at about 28 and a half kilometres, which gives me about 11 and a half kilometres back to Goring, back to the start of it, really the end of leg one. Uh, got to, got out of checkpoint three in three hours, which isn't bad. Allowed myself my first little walk as I came out the checkpoint just to eat some potatoes. Lovely. And now we're heading back. I'm going to give myself another five minute walk when I get to 35 kilometres and uh, that's going to be the strategy from now on one walk in the middle of the distance between each aid station and we'll see how well I can carry that on we'll see well it's been alright a little bit of very light rain the whole time really but still feel pretty dry which is good uh, see how long that lasts views are lovely lots of people out rowing today cars are a little tight but we'll uh, see how they go as they're on progressives. I can always switch into a bigger drop trail tube, so I've got my Innovate parkours with me. And if they're really hurt at the end of leg two, I'll switch into those for the rest of the race. So on that pacing point then, it seemed that you now only on halfway on the way back started thinking about doing the run-walk. Yeah, and I think... It's an important thing to be thinking about when you're doing a hundred mile year pacing. You know, you're not going to be able to do your marathon pace for a hundred miles. You're not going to do your 50 mile pace for a hundred miles. You've got to really think about it. And some people will go out hard and accept they're going to walk more towards the end. Yeah. You and I have always been more towards the thing of let's try and keep a steadier pace as we can going. And certainly when we did Thames Path. Yeah. Th- you know, the difference there in the, who, where we were at the turnarounds, I think at the first aid station, we were, more than three quarters of the way down the field. Mm. Yeah, I finished inside the top 20%. Yeah. By keeping a consistent pace. So that had been my intention. And I suddenly realized that I was starting to feel a bit tired. I was getting a bit, a few little, you know, tightness in my calves. And yet I hadn't even done 25 miles yet. Yeah. I had 100 miles to do and I really needed to throttle it back. So while I was feeling tired, I definitely could have carried on running. Mm. But I realized I could probably just do it with my legs a little bit of a break. Yeah. And, and yeah, and your calves were tight because well, I don't know. Thing? Yeah. Maybe I mean, so the the on cloud ventures have got a six mil drop. It's the first time I've had a six mil drop shoe. Everything else I've got is eight mil drop. Yeah. Apart from the on cloud flows, which I'm now running on the road, which are also six mil drops. So I had been running a lot on the road in six mil drops. I'd done yeah. probably 
good 400, if not 500 miles mm. in six mil drop road shoes. Yeah. But whether that was a factor or not, I don't know. In my calves starting to get tight at that point, just yeah. a lack of running in low drop shoes. But I don't think so, but I just don't know. Did it get worse? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, uh, quickly to talk about nutrition. Again, we talked earlier on and said earlier on, you can carry what you want on these races, but you're going to have to use the aid station food. My personal view on a 100-mile race yeah. is you need to start eating food as early as you can and do it regularly. So the first aid station you get to is after only six miles. You don't need to eat solid food. Start eating solid food. Get your stomach used to eating solid food while you're still feeling fairly fresh. Yeah. Because if you start trying to stick solid food in at mile 60, yeah. your stomach is not going to be happy with you. Yeah. And I think you've got to add as much carby stuff in as you can. Mm. I mean, oranges and things like that and fruit are great. I think you've got lots of sugars in there. But I think something solid like salty potatoes yeah. is brilliant. Sandwiches, if you can stomach it. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to find things like crisps and nuts just are a bit too sharp and whatever in my stomach. Yeah. But salty food is what I crave, as well as sweet stuff. But I think just eating early is really important. Yeah, you're, I think you're slightly better at this than me. I need to do that more. I need to start learning that lesson of starting to take on food right from the beginning. And I think there's something to be said for keeping your, your gastro system, gastro, gastro, yeah, gastrointestinal system. system. Yeah. Um, a steady state. Yes, exactly. Because it needs blood supply. So if you have, if, if your blood's elsewhere and then all of a sudden you demand it to go to your stomach, you're going to, you're going to have issues. Well, and it probably won't. And so there is mm. that bit of, if you don't get as much food as you can in before your body yeah, starts yeah. draining yeah. your blood away to feed the rest of your body because it's trying to get as much oxygen as it can, at which point your body, your stomach won't be able to take in any more food. Yeah. So you need to have got it in early while you can. And so that's what I'd started to do early. And I'm, I, I did it all right through yeah. the race mostly. Yes. And um, we can get on to some of that again later. So you you then got back to Goring. Then got so, back to Goring. Which was now your, this is an aid station you're going to come back to another couple of times. So yeah. you'd started at it, but how was the aid station acting as the main transition? I mean, it's centurion running. It was a seamless exercise. It was amazing. And the beauty was, you knew you had porcelain toilets <laughs> at Goring. So, you know, I got back in four hours, 11 minutes, which is miles quicker yeah, than I yeah, really wanted good. to run. You shouted out your drop bag number as you came in the door. Yeah. They said, do you want any food? You sat down in a chair and the food arrived, like served to you effectively. Like people would come and grab food and drinks for you. And then your bags arrived at your feet as yes. you were sat on a chair and you sorted yourself out and th- and then just th- someone would whisk it all away. It was, you know, proper, nice. proper first class <laughs> service. I mean, it really, really is. Yeah. I don't think I was in there for more than about five minutes. I just legged it straight out the door, really having had a bit of an eat and yeah. stuff and everything felt right and headed to the ridgeway and there's people outside the door direct to you in the right direction and off you went so I'm 47k in uh, on the money just left checkpoint 5 got Ashton de Goring in 4 hours and 11 minutes ish which was far too quick and I realised that uh, from checkpoint two, so the turnaround point from the first leg, I definitely slowed down on the way back. I've now settled into a 10 minute run, five minute walk scenario like I did on Thames Path, and it feels much better. Don't get me wrong, the legs still hurt, but at the moment it feels manageable. Uh, weather hasn't actually been too bad. It's just starting to rain again, I think, now, I think, but. Uh, we're about to attack the ridgeway and climb up onto it. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And actually give some variation, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, other than that, it's pretty flat, which I kind of knew. I'm eating all right, drinking all right. What I didn't do on leg one was walk enough. I'm still hoping I can get back to Goring in about five and a half hours on this leg. If I can do that, I can get in before dark. So four hours, 11 minutes for 24 miles. Yeah. In, you know, slightly muddy conditions. Yeah. That was quite fast. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, it was too quick. Yeah. You know, I should have been coming back into Goring in five hours. Yeah. Four hours, 11 minutes. That's impressive, though. 
in some ways. You look at it from a... Well, it's not impressive, though, is it? I mean, this uh, is the point yeah. is we're talking about how to run a 100-mile race. Yeah. It's not impressive. It's <laughs> dumb. <laughs> it's utterly, utterly dumb. You were in the moment. You were enjoying Too it. much in the moment. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you settled into a 10-5. Yeah, much earlier than I wanted to. Yeah. Really. But it was a little bit about leg management. And I also realised that I was going to hit bits on this leg and the next leg that were going to be hilly, mm. where I probably wouldn't do that 10-5. So I didn't think it was going to be a permanent feature of the run. Yeah, because you go out kind of flattish to start with through different features and then through you some, go up... Through some villages and bits, and then you start up onto the ridgeway proper, up through sort of fields, and yeah. and you end up running across a golf course. But yeah, you're climbing a lot. But again, it's about knowing what terrain you're going to go through, yeah, isn't yeah. it? I mean, but yeah, mostly uphill on that bit of the ridgeway, out till, till you get to the end, mm. uh, until the turn at checkpoint six okay but yes more climbing so things to think about i think if you're running a hundred mile race is think about the different profiles in the race Mm. where you're going to have big climbs where you're not think about what your approach will be when you get to those yeah think about how you might be feeling when you get to those don't expect for example if there's lots of steep downhills to be running those at a very fast pace Mm. because your legs will probably be so tired you won't be able to do that the first day station on the way out that that one is in a village hall i seem to remember but the one when you get out to the end of this one literally is a tent and a field. Right. And I can remember sitting down at the aid station. A lot of people were still standing up and gave myself five minutes of shaking my legs out and trying to get my head back into a positive frame because I started to feel tired and my legs were tired. Yeah. And I was thinking about, well, I'm only, what? 36 and a half? What, miles? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, three eighths, if you like, of the way through it, roughly. Yes. And I've got the rest to do. But I managed to convince myself, right, you know, it was a lot of uphill on the way out. It's going to be downhill on the way back. Yeah. And I had this bit of wanting to get back in the daylight. It was all these little markers, these little yeah, yeah. sections I'd set for myself and little targets to yeah. keep me going through the day and just focus on those little targets. So don't worry about the big things. Yeah. I'd kind of already decided at this point yeah. that sub 20 was not going to happen. That's the interesting thing about these 100 milers. You have t- you have the time, <laughs> lots of time to think about pace and yeah. when you need to be at different aid stations and you've got yeah. that time and you're doing the calculations in your head and sometimes that's quite a useful strategy for kind of thinking about something else yeah and so i thought right five and a half hours for this leg yeah i should um be able to do that and i did i got back to goring in literally five hours 23 minutes or something okay and they had the most wonderful vegetable soup <sighs> properly thick yeah exactly what i needed soups are a really good thing i mean i think half my meals on spine were soups and they just go down so easily they're just exactly it goes uh, down easy and quickly and but it's got plenty of lumps in warm. it warm yeah tastes nice ticks loads of boxes yeah and what was the temperature forecasts through the night they weren't actually that bad i don't think they were due to drop more than about two or three degrees oh right okay but the ridgeway that end of the ridgeway you're on the ridgeway on leg two but you're on the ridgeway going the, the other, other way, way on leg three. and that is i gather on top and yeah. was quite exposed. And everyone had said it will feel a lot colder than it is. Okay. So, I haven't recorded anything for a bit. Just because I was concentrating on running. Uh, I got into goring at the end of leg two. In about 8 hours 37 minutes. And I made a little deal with myself that I could stay there until 10 o'clock if I wanted to. No matter what time I got there. I could stay till 10. Uh, and that kind of worked as a good motivator for me. Uh, as it was, I stayed in there for about 15 minutes and left at about 10.51, 10.52-ish. Uh, and now I'm out onto the ridgeway again. Leg three, which everyone says is the toughest. More, more climb. And, uh, and it's quite exposed, I gather. We were expecting quite heavy rain and it hasn't happened. It is raining, but it's sort of a fairly light rain, so I've, I was going to put my waterproof trousers on and my big thick jacket, but I've decided not to. And I've put on instead a sort of Pertex gilet just to keep my core warm. And then in my bag, in my race vest, I've chucked a pair of waterproof trousers and another long sleeve top. It's insurance, I don't think I'll need the long sleeve top. Might need the trousers. We'll see. The only thing that's really bad is I forgot to pick up my GPS, which has really pissed me off, really. Um, 
you know, this, this is the, the leg where I think the mouse could go wrong. Uh, hopefully there'll be lots of runners coming back, and that's what stopped me going back. But I was about the end of me at the aid station when I realised. Um, so I'm going to keep going. Uh, Trail can seem pretty good actually. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good mood. I'm going to do myself. I'd like to do this leg in six hours. And that'll leave me then seven hours for the last leg uh, to come in under 23 hours. That'll be great. I don't need anything more than that. Uh, obviously, what I really need is just to finish under 28. But uh, I'd like to go under 24. And, uh, a little bit spare so I'm not panicking. Uh, we'll see. Right, better stop this. Gotta start running again. Okay, so like listeners, I'm probably a bit confused around the timings. Yes. I was <laughs> tired. I mean already, you know, this is a hundred miler. I've just done fifty miles. So let me make it clear. I got into Goring in total race time of Nine hours and 37 minutes, not right. eight hours and 37 minutes. Not 8.37 in the evening? No, no, or? no, no. It was eight hours, 37, uh, nine hours. <laughs> you got me doing it again now. Nine hours, 37 minutes elapsed time, not 8.37. So I made myself a deal. I could say till 10 hours elapsed time. So I ate till seven o'clock in the evening yeah. before I left. So I gave myself effectively 25 minutes in that aid station. And I spent yeah. 15 minutes in the aid station. Okay. So yeah, but I was tired and you've got to expect that. I mean, and that's yeah. that thing about having some discipline in the aid stations and knowing what you're going to do mm. because otherwise it can just get all too confusing. So having those yeah. little bags of, right, there's my food. And I, I could empty everything out that I had in my yeah. pockets and then pick up a bag if I wanted to of completely fresh stuff yeah. or I could play around with it, do whatever. But I had the wherewithal to put on that gilet because it, I thought it was going to get colder. Yeah take the waterproof trousers and take the extra long sleeve top. And that was really was just insurance, but I didn't want to be too cold. And I knew I'd be out there for about six hours ish. I thought if, yes. it, if it went right. Yeah. I would, I would always err on having extra stuff than getting cold. Cause if you get cold, I mean, your race can end. Yeah. It doesn't take long in, especially in, in wet weather to lose your body heat. But here's the rub. If you're going to plan your race and race the plan, what I did in that aid station, I'd always decided I'd have some flexibility. Yes. But what I then did was I put the gilet on, I put the extra top in the back, I put the waterproofs in the back. These weren't things I'd planned on doing. Mm. And by doing that, I distracted myself yeah. and forgot to do the one thing I'd really planned on doing, which is grabbing my uh, yes. handheld GPS to take with me on this leg because it was the one where I really thought I could fall foul of the nav. Yes. And I got half a mile away from the aid station and yeah. realised, and it was... Do I go back, effectively adding another mile to my race? Yes. Or do I trust in the fact that so far the markings have been good? Yeah. And, and this is the big kick for me, and people will be coming back the other way. Yeah. And do you have an idea how quickly they did? I got maybe a mile out of that aid station, maybe. Yes. Not even that far before the first lead runner came back to me, heading back at the end of leg three. Right. And I was only a mile into it. Yeah. So I thought, right, well, there's going to be more people now streaming back. Yes. Just go for it. Okay. And did that work? Yes. Okay. But again, it's that bit about assessing. I've got the drop bag. Take the time Yeah. to do that. A few minutes spent doing in that aid station, getting it right. Yeah. You know, you're going to be away from your bag for six hours. Get it right. I'd okay. also thought of charging up my, ha- my wrist-mounted GPS, my yeah. GPS watch, at the end of leg two. And I'd forgotten to do that um, and realised when I was on leg three that I was going to have to charge it partway through leg three to make sure it didn't die. Okay. Got away with it. Yeah, got away with it. So in all these kind of 100 mile races or especially these kind of longer distances, relationships and people you might run with, etc. become quite important. And the strategy is about how you manage that and how you approach that, I've, I've found is quite important to get right. Yeah, well, you've got to make a decision, haven't you? Do you want to run with people or mm. do you not want to run with people? And then, of course, do they want to run with you and do you not want, do they not want to run yes. with you? And the reason that's a pro and a con, if you're with someone 
you're always going to have to go at the pace of the slowest person. Mm. That could be a different person at different times. It means you'll slow each other down at different times. Yeah. But the morale boost you get from it could be quite good. Now, what had happened in this race, as sort of happens sometimes in other races, but because you were running back past people, was I was seeing a few of the same people over and over again. Yeah. So there was a guy called Ross who I saw quite a lot of mm. during the race. And then this leg, a guy called Simon that I saw a lot of. Yes. And we walked together for certain bits or run together for certain bits just because it was, we were feeling the mood, but there was an un, no one ever said anything, but there was an unspoken just, we never buddied up. Yes. And we, we separated enough, often enough quite quickly that we, I think there was a general understanding that we weren't running together. Yeah. But interestingly, as we came out of Goring on leg three, Ross had picked up a pacer. Yes. And I'd said to him as we went out, hey, I might just run with you guys for a bit. And they went, yeah, that's fine. And then we got to this first slope and I said, I think I'm going to walk now. Yeah. And he went, oh, yeah, I think I will too. And the pacer happened to be his coach. <laughs> and she just went, you will not walk! <laughs> it, honestly, it scared the living daylights out of me. And I thought, yeah, I'm not running with them. <laughs> She absolutely terrified me. Yeah. Um, the idea of having my trainer as a, as a, uh, as a, but here's the bit, you know, that if that's what you, that's what motivates yeah. you, if that what yeah. works for you, then great. That, that type of motivation would not have worked for me. And I know it doesn't work for you because I've tried the sort of yeah, yeah. drill sergeant. Not, not that far into a race. The drill sergeant right. motivation on you before and it hasn't worked at all. And it said just after that, I bumped into this guy called Simon and I, Kind of, we were around each other for yeah. most of this leg, yeah, without actually being together. Yeah, it's interesting because I, in most races, um, I will buddy up with someone. Um, and there is this certain, you know, there are some people who deliberately don't want to run with anyone, and I totally get that. There are people that would like to run with people, and there are people who are saying, like, look, I'm going to run with you, and they're open right at the beginning. And says, look, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be with you for a little bit, but if I've got a different pace, I'm going to slow up or, or, or run on, and and that's fine. And, and that's kind of quite nice. That would be our advice, I think. Yeah. If, if you if you start running with someone, have a conversation with them. They're in the same boat as you. Yes. So have that conversation and say, right, shall we run together? But accept that if one of us wants to run on. We run on. We, if our paces keep us roughly together, that's fine. But if they don't, we don't yes. even have to have the conversation about, I'm going to leave you now. We will just separate. Yeah. That, and I think that's the way to do it. Absolutely. I think you've got to be upfront about these things because everyone's put quite a lot of commitment into these races yeah. to do the training, to turn up. And while it's nice to have the company, you can't sacrifice your race or expect somebody else to sacrifice theirs or not have the run they wanted to have. But I also think you would be foolish to enter into a 100-mile race if you didn't think you could run on your own. Yes. Because there's a good chance that you yeah. might end up running on your own for yeah. a long proportion of it. Yeah, and no one will thank you for being the person who really has to latch on to people. Correct. So I got to aid station nine. Uh, in about an hour and a half after leaving Goring, which is pretty good, I think, because it's quite a steep block climb. And, uh, yeah, I'm really quite pleased with that. Um, hoping the next bit isn't too bad. Uh, I don't think it is, but we'll see. And, uh, yeah, if I can keep this up, then I should be able to hopefully do this leg in six hours, which is the target. Uh, which will certainly give me a yeah, hopefully fairly relaxing run to Reading and back uh, given that would be a total of 16 hours it give me 8 hours to get to Reading and back uh, and it's fairly flat so I mean nothing to give including you know, anything to go wrong but it's right weather's been very kind for us so far um a little drizzle going on but not much else and if he carries on like this we will be so so lucky I suspect it's not I think it's going to get really quite bad okay so you're back up on the ridgeway now yep and you've just gone through the checkpoint yep and then and that's when things started to go wrong so I started to get a really bad tight left calf mm-hmm. and 
I've not really experienced anything like it before. It was almost as I was running, I was thinking, it's going to snap. It's going to snap. It's going to snap. What's happening? And it seemed to get bad when I walked, not when I ran. Okay. And I couldn't work out what was going on. I was trying to stretch it out and that sort of helped. Yeah. But it was really tight and really uncomfortable. And then it started to rain (laughs) and it properly rained. I mean, it properly rained. Yeah. It was miserable, miserable running. And it was dark Mm. and it's lumpy ground. And it's a bridle path. So it's, you know, it's got horse footprints in it. So you have the best head torch in the world. And what on a photograph would look like it's completely flat is, isn't it? <laughs> no. And so when I got to the next day station, I was thinking, oh, this is feeling not good at all. Yeah. But it, again, it had been quite a lot of gradual uphill. And so on the next bit going back, I was stretching out and taking it a little bit easy. Mm. Got to what was A station 9, but it's now A station 11 on the way back. And I was soaked. Yeah. yeah. So I put on my waterproof my own halo waterproof coat onto my jacket. Mm. I didn't put the waterproof trousers on, didn't think there was a need. And it was only at that point, I think four miles back to Goring. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was about four or five miles. Yeah. It wasn't huge. And so I thought, right, just go for it. And I actually ran a lot of that next bit back yeah. in the rain, even with my tight cough, because it was hurting when I walked. Yeah. Also, it's a lot of downhill yeah. back into Goring, and it was hammering with rain, and I was getting cold. Yes, yeah, yeah. And on the way back, I formulated the plan that I would literally change most of my clothing when I got back to yeah. Goring. And so I decided to put on the long sleeve, long sleeve top. I also decided to put on a hoodie, a technical mm. hoodie I had with me, and my thick rain coat. Mm. And I was going to put on my parallax waterproof trousers. Yeah. And that's what I decided to do while I was on that run back. And I did get back to Goring in the six hours that I'd planned for that leg. Okay. So one minute before 16 hours, I got back. Yeah. So that's one o'clock in the morning was when I got back to Goring. Yeah. Knowing that I had eight hours then to get under 24. Okay. That's good. It's good from a buffer perspective. Yeah. And, and was your calf the one that was hurting at the beginning? No. <laughs> No, of course it wasn't. No, it was the other one. Oh, too simple. It was okay. the other one. What I also did in the aid station at Goring was I've got some compression leggings, whatever you call them, sort of. I've got thigh compression and calf yes. compression. Yes. I put on the calf compression on both my legs. Yeah. Having taken my shoes off and I changed my socks. My toes at this point, by the way. Do you remember that toe problem oh, I yeah, had yeah, at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. You remember we always say in a race like this, manage your injuries as early as you can. Yes. The blister on the end of my left toe. I said to the bloke who was helping me, I said... When you take my socks off, let's just not talk about what they, my feet look like. <laughs> and he took the socks off and I saw his face and he just put the socks on and looked at me and went, they're fine. And I went, oh, no, I, don't know. I know they're not, I know they're not good. Huge blister. And then I decided to wear my other trail shoes, my Innovate Par Claws, which clearly I haven't got the world's best grip, but it was Thames Path. So it's fairly yeah, flat. Yeah, yeah, They've yeah. got an eight mil drop and I worried that it was the six mil drop that was doing in my calf. So that's what I decided to switch into. And so I said long sleeve top, hoodie, coat, I charged up my GPS on the way back, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. So that was all done. And so I was ready now for this final leg, which I knew was going to be, I thought, pretty horrible. Yeah, yeah. Both from a physical and a weather perspective. Yeah. What then happened was I went out of the aid station and started off, and it wasn't long before I realised that in my haste to get all that clothing on and get myself sorted, I'd forgotten to pick up any gels or any drink powders. <laughs> So coming out of it the third for leg three and for leg four, you made mistakes. Correct. Mm. And what immediately became apparent, and I mean almost immediately on being at the A station, was the rain had stopped. And and I started running and I was boiling, absolutely boiling. I had completely the wrong kit on for that leg. And what I ended up doing very shortly after the start was taking off the hoodie yeah. Putting the coat back on, but I had to have it mostly unzipped. Yeah. But then yeah. it started to drizzle. Yeah. What I really needed was the thinner the thinner mm. waterproof coat. Yeah. It really wasn't that pleasant. Now the weather for that leg was pretty awful. And I didn't record anything <laughs> yeah. for the entire leg. And it was proper pain and leg management. I got to the third stay station, which is only four and a half miles outside Goring. Yeah. I said, have you got anything with any caffeine in it at all? Yeah. Because I hadn't picked up, I had used my caffeine gels that I had on me. I had nothing else yeah. left. And they said, well, we've got Coke and coffee. So yeah. I literally had a spoon of coffee in a cup of Coke. 
yeah. and, and net that yeah. and um, grab some gels from them. I said, have you got anything? They said, well, we've got these gels. They had some goos. Yeah. Um, but they've got nothing caffeine in them. And, and I grabbed some Tailwind. Yeah. And off I went towards Reading. Yeah. And then it's just a slog, mm. a total slog. And at this point, it becomes utterly mental. And I think if nothing else, if you're going to run a hundred miler, realize that you are going to have to dig really deep mentally. Yes. But at no time did I really feel like I ever did on Thames Path. Yeah. I was in pain. All these things had gone wrong, but I still felt fairly positive. Yeah. About the experience mm. that I had. Yeah. And I think knowing that it's going to be like that at some point and probably in that last quarter. And I find what helps is mentally projecting and, and ahead of the race that that's how you're going to feel. And there's no avoiding that. You're going to have to get ready for it. And if you, if you accept that that's going to happen, um, I think kind of helps a lot. If you can get out and wreck your course, mm. I think it pays massive dividends when it comes to actually running a race of this length. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what's coming. You can tell yourself, you, you know, which bits are there. And yes, of course, you know the enormity of what you're running. Yeah. Which yeah. Can, but you know that anyway. You've got a GPS. It tells you you've still got 20 miles to run or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it, knowing when these bits aren't right, aren't this is the last hill. Mm. Or alternatively, this isn't the last hill. Yeah. Dig deep. Keep yeah. going. You'll get there. I know I've mentioned before I'm a fan of using Google Earth, flying over routes, looking at on Google Earth photographs people have taken, and also using things like Street View. Yeah. Because quite often these, these races, you know, every 10, 12 miles or whatever, you end up on a road somewhere and you can just look at it on the road and when you get there you go oh i remember this i remember looking at the photographs of it and it just just kind of helps i got to reading yeah the one thing i hadn't done yet was defecate yeah. and if you're going to be up for 24 hours most of us will go once during a 24-hour period yeah so it is something to think about that your body might or might not want to do it and what i didn't want to do is get caught out in the open mm. i'd gone just before i'd started the race in the morning yeah so i thought it could come around while i'm running yeah and i don't want that so I tried to go. Um, yeah. And just something again, looking smiling at each other, but stuff you've got to plan in a race sometimes, mm, mm. at least to be aware of. I couldn't go anyway. I didn't. But uh, what it did give me an opportunity to do um, was to um, just have a bit of a lube. And that's the other thing. Running a long race like this, you're probably going to find that you sweat quite a lot. And that sweat and chafe. So make sure you are properly lubed up before you start, I would suggest. Yes. And carry some Vaseline with you. I carried literally a whole tub, a little tub with me. Yeah, yeah. And I would stick some down there at various times just to keep me yeah, yeah. moist. Moving. <laughs> moist, <laughs> moving, <laughs> not chafing, put it that way. Yes. So again, things to think about longer races. At Reading, I was probably looking a little bit forlorn. And one of the blokes said, I've got some Pro Plus tablets, oh. caffeine. I went, yeah, that'll do. Brilliant. So I took a couple of Pro Plus tablets, caffeine. Yeah. Do you know what? I have no idea if they had any effect, but mentally, even if it was just placebo, yes. it was going yeah, to have yeah. an effect in yeah. my head. But at that point, it was, oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to think what time of the morning it was when I was at Reading. I was there at about 19 and a half hours. So what's that? About 4.30 in the morning. Right, okay. You know. Yeah, no one's up at that time. So I headed back. But at this point, I'd realised that, you know, my, my, my times, whatever I wanted to do, there was no way... I was going to do this in a, another six-hour leg. My leg was absolutely killing me. Yeah. I was hobbling. And really, it was all I was going to be able to do to finish the race now. And I could I could see not the cut-offs, yeah, yeah. but my self-imposed 24-hour deadline yes, yeah. coming towards me a little bit like a steam train. So for that run back then, well, well, were you running back or did you walk? So I ran... The same run-walk strategy all the way back to Whitchurch, which is about four and a half miles. So that's like checkpoint 15. Of checkpoint 16. 15, correct. Yeah. yeah, the same one where they'd given me the gels on the way yes. out. And then from then back, weirdly, I started running because it's a little downhill bit and I just got the bit between my teeth and started running. Yeah. But what hadn't happened in this race, in this leg, because I've run out of powders, yeah. I hadn't been drinking as much. Yeah. Hadn't really been drinking carbs in the bottles because I didn't really like the tail when it's making me feel a bit weird. Mm. So I'd been drinking water and a bit of Coke. Hadn't been eating much. Yeah. My whole nutrition strategy went out of the window on yeah. leg four and my whole world came crashing down upon me about four kilometers from the end. Right. When I literally suddenly had a massive, almost tilted and fell over and went, Oh, this doesn't feel very good. And at that point I went to a one minute walk, one minute run strategy. 
Yeah. For a kilometre. Yeah. Realised I couldn't keep that up. Yeah. And just decided I was going to walk the rest of the race. Yeah. The last three kilometres, which is what I did. Yeah, yeah. And let's play the clip now of me during that very, very end of it. So look, I can't remember the last time I did a recording. It's been uh, a really tough race. The weather's been not pleasant overnight. Um, And I've been just had to get my head down to try and get to the end. Uh, I'm literally walking along the Thames path. Uh, I'm about to finish. Uh, Good morning. Morning. Oh, it's been horrible. This last bit. I've got literally 50 yards to go. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Oh, oh, mate. Well done. Thank you so much. Well done. Come in. Come into the world. Oh, ow. Are you okay? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a. Like a thing. I hate you. I hate you so much. Congratulations, buddy. Hey, what time did you do it in? Uh, 22.45. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well happy. Yeah, you should well be. Happy. <laughs> well, I'm just happy. I, I'm happy too, to be honest. Yeah. Is that your pacer? <laughs> uh, no, 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 it's my coach. Right. Here. Your pacer scared the living bejesus out of me. <laughs> when, when I said, I'm going to slacken off a bit because I don't think I can run up this hill. And you went, yeah, I might oh, too. Oh, no, sorry. That was when... Was that you? And, yeah. and you? and you went, I might too. And she went, you will not! <laughs> okay! <laughs> Okay. Whoa. Yeah, no, that was Wendy. <laughs> She's terrible. Yeah. Oh. How you doing? All right. Yeah. That is the worst conditions I've seen for leg four. It was bloody awful. It was crap, but Ross's attitude was brilliant for it. And I think you, you just have to keep positive. Oh, shit. You know, everyone motivates different, don't they? And for me, it was just right. I just worked out the splits, yeah. ran splits, uh, ran, ran little splits. I didn't just run the whole, you know, so like right, right the next hour, I'm going to run this splits. And I just try and keep, yeah, try and keep that attitude positive and do as much as possible. No, it wasn't. Well done. Just trying to work out how long I sit down for. A little bit longer, mate. I, I, think I don't want to seize up, that's all. I want to be able to get up the road. Have you got clothes and stuff? I've got really bad calf, so I'm just thinking I don't want to seize it up. Yeah, I've got loads of clothes. But I think what I'll do is probably walk up to the station and then put my clothes on. Oh my god, you're doing lunges. <laughs> stretching. <laughs> stretching that calf. That's the best stretch I can do, I'm afraid, at the moment. I can't do anything deeper. That's I can't as good wait as... to see you get to the station. Well, you'll be awesome. Right. How can I carry a hot dog? Oh, right. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out whether. I'm trying to, well, you can walk to the station with me carrying my bags if you like. Um, I'm just trying to work out whether to grab a hot dog on the way out. I'm not sure I can face it. I can do you want to go and you can... Yeah, please. Yeah? Do you, I mean, I, I, do, you want, do you want sauce, onions? Or? Not onions. I, whilst I normally would, I just... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, a little bit of tomato sauce, please. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Oh, sorry. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. All right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, guys. So, a finish. Yep. Second Centurion finish. Two yep. out of two. Yep. In 23 hours and 12 minutes. Yeah. But you can see that last leg what took me, what, seven hours, 12 minutes. So yeah. Whilst I thought eight hours was a big buffer, it wasn't that quite that yeah. big a buffer. <laughs> My calf was in absolute agony. So, you heard me saying, I hate you at the end. That was to yeah. James, the race organiser. He had a good laugh about that and then sorted myself out and I was, you know, my head's in a bad space. And there is this thing when you do a race like that, that your brain keeps you going and functioning. Yeah. And then when you stop, it's used everything to keep you going and it just starts to shut down very quickly. And my body started to shut down very quickly as well. Yes. I do think there is something different to the actual end compared to places where you stopped along the route as you kind of say, is you mentally know that's the end of your race. Yeah. And you almost, I think, give your body permission to almost fall apart. Because in races I've done, like long ones like the spine and stuff, even though you might stop for like three or four hours and sleep, you're still able to get up and get going again relatively easy compared to when you actually stop. 
Um, and when you actually know it's the end and you tend to, I don't know, your body, I think your body says, right, that's the end of the trauma. Now we're going to stop. Yeah. And to give you an idea, you know, I'd been walking. I walked all the way that last three kilometers and it was pretty painful, but I did it. Went into that aid station at Goring and got myself sorted out and got out of there. And I wasn't in there for more than about 20 minutes. Yeah. So no longer than I'd really been in there the time before when I yes. ran. Yeah. And I started walking to the train station and you'd have to have seen it to believe it. I was literally mm. taking 10 centimeter paces, maybe yeah. trying, dragging my, my, my left leg was in actual utter agony. And I've got to pick up a guy. I think his name was Chris. I, I should have paid more attention, but I was just in yeah, so much yeah. agony who walked past me as I was going to the station and then came back and said, I cannot in any good conscience leave you to walk on your own, given how much I can you in. Cause I was carrying bags. Yes. Yeah. And so he took my bags for me. Yeah. And let me walk without them. Had he, he run in the race? No. Okay. No, he was there, um, supporting somebody. He was there to pick up someone else who was running. Yes. Yeah. So he then walked me all the way to the station, found out which platform I was on, got me on the platform and everything. Wow. I have to thank him so much because. Yeah, I was in utter bits. To give you an idea. My little daughter had to help me get undressed because my wife was going out. And then I had a shower and got into bed. But this is this bit where it shuts down. So I ended up, that hot dog that I'd got from the aid station was in my coat pocket and I'd not taken it out. <laughs> and it was in the bedroom. But I literally couldn't get out of bed. And I texted my wife and asked her to come upstairs and give me my hot dog. So she literally came upstairs, took the hot dog out of my coat pocket, looked at me with a withering look, gave me the hot dog, and then, and then said, you're not going to eat that in bed. And I went, yeah, I am. <laughs> and I ate a cold hot dog in bed and went back to sleep. But you've got to be prepared for what it's going to do to your body. And also... Yeah, yeah how your body's going to be afterwards. You know, it's going to take you weeks yeah. to recover from well, this. People have done assessments, haven't they, and, and looked at the blood in the body after these 100-mile races and long-distance ultras. And, and and it is, your body's been in trauma. You know, there's a serious repair job that needs to be done. Yeah. It takes time. So don't expect to be up and about. Think about taking maybe a couple of days off work. Mm. You know, don't be expecting to go back to work necessarily on the Monday and be fighting fit and find it easy to do. Yeah. Because it won't be. Yeah. And and really, you might want a couple of days off. If for no other reason that your sleep pattern's going to be totally disrupted, mm. you're going to have the dreaded ultra sweats, yeah. which you're going to get at least for a couple of days probably. Yeah. Um, which you've had really badly after spine, mm. but I've had after my 100 miles where you just, your body just doesn't really know what it's doing in terms of temperature yeah. control. Yeah. Uh, probably as it's trying to repair your it's trying to repair yourself. and you're, you're actually um, work even though you're asleep your body's working yeah. overboard trying to trying to repair itself and you end up yeah and the other big thing of this of course is that you can't drive to a hundred miler no most of them have a rule that says yeah you, you are not to drive afterwards if you're found to have driven you'll be banned from future events because people have crashed and died after doing them so it's just a really bad thing yeah they have so oh, that's okay. really, yeah so that's one of the reasons the rules are in there you've either got to Get yourself there and get picked up, or somehow get yourself home. And yeah, you know that walk to the train station might not be that easy. Yes. So just think about your, your logistics. Think about how you're going to you're going to be supported afterwards because you probably will need some help. Yes. So the quiz. Yep. Okay. The quiz. Question yep. one. Mm-hmm. Race details. So it's a hundred mile race, give or take, along the Thames Path and the Ridgeway in a sort of cross formation. Nineteen. 100 metres of climb, and it's a mixture of paths, a little bit of tarmac, and depending on the weather, it can be really <laughs> firm underfoot or really quite messy. And it took the time cutoffs? And so you've got to do it in 28 hours. Right. And you get a different medal for under 24, don't you? It's a belt buckle. Yes. So you get belt buckles. Dip, uh, for under 24 hours, you get a one-day finish. Another one just says finisher on it. Yeah. Okay. Best bit? I'm going to have to say finishing. You finish races, you feel great, but I think finishing a hundred miler feels really quite special. Mm. So I was really pleased to finish in under 24 hours. Yeah. But in terms of the actual race for everybody to experience, I think the best bit of the race on this is the comfort blanket of Centurion organization. Okay. You know, it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be well marked. You know, the aid crews are really going to help you. Yeah. The aid crews are just amazing in this event. Yeah. Worst bit. In this one, I guess it was that weather at the end of leg three and the beginning yeah. of leg four. And that was just horrible. In terms of the course, though, I really like the course. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. So would you recommend it? Yeah, I absolutely would. And if you're going to do 100 miler, I really think it's a good one to start with. Yeah. Because of varied terrain, 
well marked, but that bit of going back to that drop bag, that yes. safety blanket that you drop bag, I think is really useful for people starting out. Yeah. Really, really do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And having the same kind of course that you're running out and back each time. And, really helps. Yeah, yeah. And running past the people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. And are you going to do it again? Will I do it again? Well, look, I did it as a Western States qualifier. Yeah. Didn't get in. Now, I'm not going to say I won't run it again, mm. because if I need to do a States qualifier... Yeah, there's and, only and so many you can do. There's only so many you can do in the UK. I'm not intending to do it next year, but I am intending to do a States qualifier. Right, okay. But I'm not going to say yet what that is, because I've not quite decided, but I think I have. Okay. But it won't be this race. Okay, cool. So look, I hope you've found that... I hope that... We... We hope you found that useful if you're going to run 100 mile soon. And if you are, look, the very best of luck. We've got some races we still need to cover, but we we want to discuss some themes as well. Yeah. Uh, And one of them is what makes a good race. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you what you think makes a great trail race. And also you can email us with any ideas you've got for episodes we could do. You can contact us on Instagram and Twitter at runners on trail you can email us at runners on trail at gmail.com and of course i don't know how you're downloading this at the moment but don't forget you can now get us on spotify runners on trail